Actually, why don't we start back in Job 31. Yes, Brother Mike does have a sermon here tonight. Let's just make sure we're in the right place. <laughs> Job 31. I want to thank the Lord for the opportunity to uh, get to speak tonight. And uh, it's, a, it's an honor. I can't remember the last time I preached and Pastor wasn't here. This is kind of uh, different. And, uh, so, but I'm, I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity. I felt really bad about saying goodbye today because uh, I'm going to the conference as well, like several here, and I am flying. And uh, just felt really guilty to not be <laughs> in, that, in that van. But uh, Godspeed to them, and uh, amen. <laughs> oh, the Lord knows. But no, we are looking forward to going out to Oklahoma this week. And uh, it's funny, we're joking about it around here now like it's some sort of pilgrimage that we take out to Oklahoma but really, it is worth the travel and the expense. And, uh, and even, even right now, I feel so busy and feel so much like I need to be here. But usually when the meeting's over, you're, you say, man, I'm glad I went. You know, that was just what I needed. And it's kind of uh, like any time the Lord speaks to you uh, in preaching, uh, the Lord gives you just what you need. And I'm looking forward to that this week. And, of course, the impact the conference has on a lot of students. This conference is a special emphasis on church planning. So we meet, and some of the speakers are, are younger, sort of starting out in, in starting churches, or they've been going for a few years. Uh, and then you'll have some of the older ones in the evening services. But the whole emphasis is on the need to start new churches. And God uses that meeting. A lot of young men, a lot of young ladies give their lives uh, to that endeavor. I went to a lot of them in college, but I had no idea I'd be standing here all these years later. I thought the Lord was maybe going to have you be a missionary or have me do a lot of other things first, and here we are, amen. As I plan to talk about what's going on, a lot of people would ask him, what in the world is going on and in Greenpoint these days? I will do my best to kind of share that with you a little bit here uh, in, the, in the message, but uh, we are encouraged, and the Lord is using us, and uh, we're uh, uh, shared with our supporting churches that we thought we had a recipe for success by uh, having all of our support and having a new van and well, not new, but new to us, and nicest van I've ever owned, and uh, getting our apartment fairly quickly, and we thought we had a recipe for success. And we turn, as it turns out, it's a recipe for patience. <laughs> and that's important, too. Uh, it's hard to be patient when you can't pay your bills or you, can't, uh, you, know, you don't know how you're going to make it, but uh, it, you can be a little more patient when you know that some things are taken care of and you can kind of dig in and wait out a difficult time. So uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. I'm going to share a little bit more about that uh, in the message tonight. But for tonight, let's look at um, Job chapter 30, Job chapter 31. Now, Brother Mike is going to bite off probably a lot more than he can chew. I'm going to preach, we're going to read Job 31, 35. And I am going to take for granted right up front that you know the story of Job. Okay? Because I don't dare try to preach the entire book. But usually when you approach the book of Job, it's easy to do that. It's, it's kind of just one big unit, uh, and so it's easy to do that. I'm going to take for granted that you probably have a pretty good idea of what happened to Job, right? Remember Job, a man that God said was perfect before him, a man that feared God, shoot evil, Satan accused him, and, uh, and Job went through a lot of suffering, didn't he? God basically let Satan loose on his life and said, you can do what you want to him, just don't kill him. And so Satan took his children... His wife left him. He lost everything that he owned, his possessions, and, and even his physical body was ailed by boils and other disease, uh, and he was brought about as low as a man can be. I'm going to trust that you probably know the story pretty well. 
take it, take it for granted, or excuse me, so, so you can probably guess that when we break in on the book of Job like this, 30 chapters in, that Job is probably not doing so well. He's probably in a very difficult time in his life. And so that's where we kind of jump in. And if you've read through Job, uh, if you're reading the Bible chronologically this year, then, um, then you're in the book of Job right now probably. Uh, if not, you're going to get to it eventually. And I don't know about you, but when I read through the book of Job, I always get it. I start off good because, you know, that's the familiar part of the book, you know, where all the events happen. And then, like, as you get into it, you're like, Job starts talking and you're like, yeah, Job, you're right. You know, he's talking about this. And then you're like, well, wait a minute, Job, what are you saying here? And then his friends start in. You remember them as three friends? And then, wow, you're like, what are these guys talking about? This sort of sounds right, but it sort of doesn't. And you, get, you start to get a little lost in the, in, the, in the trail there. And then you get to the end, and, and God starts talking in a way you've never heard God talk before, in the way God speaks in the book of Job. And you, it's, almost, it's really confusing, and then it ends with a bang. Job gets everything back, and he gets his wife back. He has more children. He gets the possessions back. He offers... He offers sacrifice for his friends. The end. I mean, it ends very abruptly. And so sometimes going through the book of Job, it can, it can seem a little bit confusing. Part of that is because it's a very old book. I mean, as far as, you know, when, it, when the events actually took place, no one knows really for sure. And nobody even knows for sure who wrote it. But it's most likely that this occurred during the time of Abraham or even before. He may have even predated Abraham. It could have gone way back or even earlier than that. No one really knows. So a completely different culture and context from what we're used to today. And so when you read it, it can kind of, it can kind of seem that way that uh, you get kind of lost uh, in the trail a little bit. And that's not, on, that's not an accident on the part of God. It's just a, a book with a lot in it. It's, it's got a lot of depth. So we break in basically after Job has, has preached to his friends, if you will. He's, he's laid out his case. His friends have responded. And don't they beat him down one after another? They say, you know... They basically say the reason all this has happened to you is because of sin in your life. You've done something wrong, and Job is trying to justify himself before them. And where we come in, in Job chapter 31, verse 35, Job says these words. Job 31, 35. No, that's not right. 30, yeah, okay, Brother Mike, you get it right. 31, 35, there it is. Let me back up to verse 34. Did I, this is Job here. He says, did I fear a great multitude or did the contempt of families terrify me that I kept silence and went not of the door? This is part of Job's reasoning here. He's saying, I've been through a lot of difficulties and I've handled them as right as I know how. That is basically what Job has said. He's justified himself before his friends. And here is the big request that Job makes. He says this, verse 35. Oh, that one would hear me. You ever felt like you were complaining and no one was listening? <laughs> there was Job. Complaint after complaint. Now, he had four people at this time standing in front of him listening, but he felt like no one was hearing him. Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that my adversary had written a book. So Job's huge request is that God would answer him. God why is all of this happening to me? And if there's one answer he, could, he would want, it's, God, why don't you answer me? Why don't you speak to me? Why don't you tell me what's going on? Life is full of whys, isn't it? I mean, right away I can immediately relate to Job. 
I mean, and, and, and life is full of whys. And so my, my endeavor tonight is going to be to preach to you a message from the book of Job. And I'm going to cover quite a bit of ground. I'm going to pick up in chapter 38. And I'm going to go almost to the end of the book. I'm not going to do a verse-by-verse look at the, at, the, at the story, but kind of get the big idea of what um, God was trying to relate to Job. And I'm going to do it with a title to the message that is this tonight. The right answer to the wrong question. Let's look at the book of Job tonight and see how God gives the right answer to the wrong question. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this evening, and I thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. And Lord, it's a great honor to have such a place like this where the Bible is open freely, not just here on the pulpit, but, but people here in the pews, they've got their Bibles open, they're, they're wanting to see what the Word of God has to say, and they look at it carefully, and they don't just take the preacher's word for it, but they, they study the scriptures to see if these things are so. Thank you, Lord, for the local church. Thank you for the access to the Bible that we have. And Lord, I pray tonight as we look into a passage that um, is one of the oldest in the Bible, that is um, one of the most revealing of your character and your goodness, that, Lord, we would, um, we would have comfort, Lord, in knowing that you are faithful that we would have comfort in knowing that through all the whys in life that you're a good God and we can trust you. And Lord, I pray that there's one here tonight that is in a confusing time in their life, is in a time where there's just no easy answer. I pray, Lord, they would find an answer in your word, that they would find something even more than what I can say, of comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit that, Lord, only you can give. And I pray you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, life is full of whys, is it not? And we live in a sort of information, information age where if you have a why, you can pretty quickly get the answer. Oh, how do you, uh, what's the, how many cups are in a gallon? I can't remember. Google it. You know, that's what we say, right? Or uh, my wife, now I just recently got rid of my iPhone. Uh, but when I had it, and my wife, uh, you know, used to hate me for doing this. Uh, she's asked me a question. I say, just ask Siri, you know, the, the little assistant thing. And you'd ask, of course, you never get the right answer anyway. But, uh, you know, that's kind of handy uh, for you people that like Android. Uh, then you see the commercials and stuff where you're supposed to say, Google now, tell me this. Or what's the square root of 5,482? And boom, it just gives you the answer right away, right? I mean, answers are more readily available to us now than they really ever have ever been. I mean, take your children sometime and sit them down and say, children, behold, a dictionary. When people didn't know what a word meant, they didn't just make it up and act like they did. They went and got this thing out, and they looked it up, and they read it, and they learned what it meant. Behold the dictionary. I mean, we're going to be saying that to our kids one day. You know, probably already. I mean, you're going to be showing, you're going to say, children, behold the the music store. If you wanted music, you had to drive to the store and you had to go through all the selections and see which one they had. And then you had to pick, pick one and then you had to go and you had to buy it. Of course, now today, if you want music, hey, what's that song? Yeah, okay, click, 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 boom. In a matter of seconds, you've got exactly what you're looking for. We live in an information age. We live in an age where we're told even with new technology that we're supposed to have a lot of information. We're supposed to have a lot of answers for us all the time. 
So if you do get a smartphone or a tablet or something like that, it immediately bombards you with requests. Do you want to be notified about this? Do you want to be notified about that? Do you want to be notified about this, 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 and this, and this? Do you want to be notified when the person that you saw in the hallway in high school had for dinner last night on Facebook? I mean, you could just be notified about a lot of different things and information. You can just be bombarded with information. And I think with the idea of, uh, I'm picking on smartphones, but really technology in general, we have such access to information that we think because we have smartphones, that makes us smart. Now, I want a person who grew up without a smartphone to give me an amen on that one, okay? You know what I'm talking about? People think they got all the answers, you know, because it's right there. And I'm not against technology. I'm not against having an iPhone or anything like that. I've got an iPod because I just couldn't resist. But I'm just saying that, We live in an information age where answers come very quick. In fact, I was uh, looking recently, and uh, I actually did show my daughter what a map what a map was, because a lot of people today don't look at maps, do they? GPS, right? Boom, boom, boom. And hey, I like GPS. It's easy. I mean, I I like I like not being lost, and uh, and I'm not saying you should throw away your GPS, but I mean, we just think. We, we know that we don't know where we're going, but we assume that we, we know a little bit more than most because we've got the answer accessible to us. We also live in a professional age. We live in a world of experts, don't we? Big crisis comes up, you turn on the cable news, and boom, there's a panel of experts to give you the exact answer to every single problem. Uh, the world is full of experts. Why is it so warm outside? Let's bring out the panel of experts. It happens every year, right? It gets summer, it gets burning hot out there. Let's get the panel of experts. The experts say it's warm outside because of global warming due to climate change. And then, of course, six months from then, it's freezing cold outside, and there's an ice storm, and there's snow. Let's get a panel of experts, and they get on the news, and what do they tell you? It's global cooling as a result of climate change. <laughs> and the experts, you know, the experts, they, I'm not trying to pick on people that are into that kind of thing, but you know what I mean. I mean, it seems like there's an, always an expert that ha- is really quick with an answer for all of life's problems. A news blip, um, I, I always like listening to, or listen to the radio, catch the traffic report, and it's so funny. They tell you the Dow Jones, Industrial Average, S&P 500. Now, does anybody know that, like, Wall Street and, and, and those numbers and the reason why they rise and fall, Brother Stephen, help me out here, is an incredibly complex issue that you can go to college for years and years and years and study and study and study, and you will still not fully understand what makes that number go up and down. And yet, on the newsreel, what does it say? The S&P 500 is up three points today due to a rise in the job, job market. Boom. And they go right off. It's, it's much more complex than that. <laughs> but, but we're quick with an easy answer in this world. And quick and easy answers are all around us. And I think quick and easy answers, they give us a feeling of control. We turn on the news and we hear somebody explain a situation to us with a degree behind their name. and we, It makes us feel like the world is a little smaller. The world is a little more within our grasp. Things are going to be okay because we know the problem and we know the solution. You know, sometimes life isn't that way. Sometimes there's problems that don't have easy solutions. Sometimes there are problems that don't have easy answers. Job found himself in one of those times in his life. I mean, here he is. He cannot... Now, we got the background of the story, right? We, we found out that the sons of God came before, um, came before uh, God and, and Satan was there. And there's this conversation between them and God lit Satan loose on Job's life. We know all the background as to the why all this is happening, but Job did not. In one day, he loses everything he has. He finds himself, I mean, 
on his hands and knees in the wilderness with his friends, with his body afflicted, brought as low as he can be. I, I have some Bible study software, and I, it, it, it's full of a lot of like ancient paintings and images and sketches of, of biblical stories. Ugh. I mean, the ones of Job are nasty. I mean, of him, uh, you know, be, with his body completely riddled in pain and laying there before his, his friends just as low as he can be. And Job asks why. He does. God, answer me. That's what we read here in our text. If I could ask for one thing, it would be this, that God would answer me. And when Job asked why, God answered. But God didn't give, didn't answer that question because that was the wrong question. (laughs) God answered a bigger question. When Job asks why things were happening in his life, God confronts him with the truth about his power in, in the natural world. Look with me in chapter 38. Now, I would love to read through all these chapters, but folks, I just can't do it. It's just, you, you wouldn't, I would probably bore you to death. Not that the story is boring, but Brother Mike's presentation would probably be horrible. I would encourage you maybe to read through them sometime. They are very exciting. And if I was, you know, if I was the pastor and I was, preaching through this over several weeks, as I'm sure Pastor has done in the past, then I would take the time to go through each one of the little parts here because there is so much to these chapters. But after Job, after Job speaks, you have Elihu, his friend, comes in and he speaks and actually sets the stage for this next passage. He does a good job. And then the Lord speaks. Chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job... Out of the whirlwind and said, Who is he that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Let me pause there for just a moment. God finally steps into the situation. Job is begging for an answer. Now, Elihu kind of gives him one, but Job, I, I don't think really Job heard, heard him. Elihu kind of makes the point that he's a young man and he's speaking to older men. <laughs> he says that great phrase that I like where he says, Great men are not always wise. I love that phrase. Uh, you know, he says, you know what? You may be older than me. That doesn't make you right. I know I need to respect my elders here, but that doesn't mean you know everything that you're talking about. And, uh, and so God, and, and God uses Elihu there. But now God comes and he makes this accusation. Verse 2. Who is he that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Basically what he's saying there is this. Someone here, Job, God comes down in a whirlwind. And he says to him, somebody here is questioning what I do And what you're using to question me, you don't know anything about. There's somebody here that we could use the word ignorant. There's somebody here that's talking about something, but they don't know what they're talking about. I think about those experts on cable news. They're doing a lot of talking, but they don't know what they're talking about. And and that's what he says about Job. He says, gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Now, when I read through that in the previous times, I've always looked at that and thought, God is coming down on Job hard. He's coming down and he's saying, now gird yourself up like a man. Stand up, Job, and I'm going to tell you a thing or two. That's not really compatible with God's nature, though. God isn't that way. He's good and gracious and kind. And he can be angry at times and he can be furious. He says so himself. But I look at God's relationship with Job thus far, and I don't see him as coming down on him hard. And as we read through this passage, I don't see God coming down on him and saying, now you listen here, I'm going to set you straight. I see more of a, almost in the sense of a friend coming to another friend and saying, hey, 
I need to tell you something that you, you don't understand. You're wrong here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to set you straight. It's, it's, in, it's in a kind way. I think, I think you'll see that here through, the, through these chapters. So God comes to him, and what he does is he reveals himself. He speaks to Job about himself. And what he tells Job about himself is this, is that he has complete control and knowledge of the natural world. Now, I'm assuming that you agree with that, right? That God has complete control and knowledge over the natural world. Now, God in chapter 38 goes through 18 different realms of influence in which, um, which he has in the universe. I'm not going to go through all 18. I would love to, though. I really did enjoy studying these. Uh, they're quite fun. And if you're someone that's into creation science, it's kind of funny that we, I got into this passage, and it seems like we've been talking about it a lot here lately. It's been mentioned in a few sermons, and of course we're dealing with it in Sunday school as well. And I agree with Pastor completely, and I've heard him say it many times that, uh, you know, there is, there is a lot of value in creation science. I think it's really cool, the scientific discoveries that are out there that validate the Bible. I think that's neat. But, of course, we're not, but this is the thing. We're not looking for scientific discoveries to validate the Bible. God validates the Bible. He says it is true. It's a book of truth. Not only is it true because the Bible says so, but because this is a book of truth, it's true, therefore it's in the Bible. Does that make sense? This is a book of truth. If it isn't true, it wouldn't be here. I need an amen. I like creation science. I like what it can do. But no one, like Pastor, I think Pastor said it this morning, no one is going to walk the altar and get saved because of a creation scientist. Okay? I mean, remember, the, the, the Egyptians saw the plagues happening right before their very eyes. They saw the Red Sea part, they, and they ran right into it after, God, after God's people. I mean, if God put it in the big blue sky, I am the Lord, you need to repent and get saved, the whole world would not repent and get saved. The point is men's hearts are evil. And no matter the amount of evidence there is, <laughs> men, some men just simply will not believe. They will choose to reject the Lord. So I, I do, but I do like um, how modern science seems to be more and more validating. Um, and we're kind of in a cycle in science right now where Darwinian evolution was real popular for many decades. That's what I grew up learning. I can remember seeing the chart of the ape. And it grows up into this time. I can remember seeing that in, cl in class. I remember when I got saved in high school and trying to challenge my high school professor a little bit and, and really getting, getting the smack down on me and didn't really know what I was talking about and <laughs> uh, really probably embarrassing myself. But I like how now we're kind of getting past that a little bit. Even a lot of scientists now are starting to reject Darwin. Um, people that don't even believe in God are starting to say, okay, well, maybe... Uh, his knowledge was pr pretty limited, and maybe we shouldn't have put him up on quite so high a pedestal. And there's a lot going on in that creation science world. I think it's neat. I'm not really going to address it tonight. Um, but there, there is certainly a, a, a worthy study here in chapter 38 of that. But God goes into 18 realms of influence. He's going to sit Job down, and Job is talking about his sufferings. And now for the next few chapters, God is not going to mention a word about him. He's not going to say, well, let me explain to you why you have boils on your skin. Let me explain to you why you lost your children. Let me explain to you why your wife left you. Let me explain to you why you lost all your possessions. See, God is dealing with the right answer here to the wrong question. So God is going to go through, and when a man who is asking God why, he's going to sit him down, and you know what he's going to reveal? Not the, not the hidden meaning to all of his circumstances. He's going to reveal himself. He's going to reveal himself. Now, that's interesting. We're going to see why he does that here in just a minute. But first, let's look and see what God reveals about himself. 
18 things. Don't worry. Let me just look at three, okay? Real briefly, okay? Look what he says in verse 1 through 7 there. Uh, we already read 1 through 3, so pick up in verse 4. Where, here's a, now, all these, this whole chapter, the next four chapters, are written in prose. It's poetry, Hebrew poetry, okay? So if it sounds a little different, that's why I said this, when you hear God speak here, it's like you've never heard him speak before. It's because it, the way it's recorded is very dramatic. And it's something that uh, we can glean a lot of value here in the way it's written, but the, it's, it's just written very different from a lot of other parts of the Bible. So you've got to know that coming into it, and then you can appreciate it a little bit more. There's a lot of imagery, a lot of metaphor here, um, a lot of references to other, other cultural things that I'm not going to take the time to get into in a sermon tonight. But it's, it is a wonderful piece of literature um, in and of itself. But this whole next chapter is written in rhetorical questions. Okay, so he's asking God a question where there's an obvious answer, okay? So here's what he asks him, verse 4. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Job, where were you when the world was created? I have a question for you. When, when the world got started, where were you? And if you have any knowledge about that, go ahead and just tell me now. I want to know. I like that. Because obviously Job wasn't there, was he? In fact, the creation of the world had nothing to do with Job, if you remember correctly. In fact, only God was there in the beginning. In the beginning was God. You know, you don't have to be a scientist to debate an evolutionary person, or a person who believes in evolution. Well, maybe they are evolutionary, I don't know. But, uh, you know, believing that God created everything is not unreasonable. It really isn't. You don't have to know all about chemistry and biology and all this. And, and like I said, winning the argument of evolution creation is not going to get anyone saved. But it is perfectly reasonable to believe that everything came from something. Is it not? Because what's the alternative? To believe everything came from nothing. And that is completely unreasonable. <laughs> That's not scientific to say that everything came from nothing. And it, you, know, you could debate a person that believes in evolution for hours, and at the end of every debate, you always get to this, you will always get them to this point where they will say, well, you and I, neither one of us know what happened in the beginning. Well, I do. God was there. God created everything. And he asked that of Job. He says, who hath laid the measures thereof? Verse 5. If thou knowest. Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory? Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of a womb? Let me back up there in verse 7. He, he, he confronts him about creation. Job, where were you when the world was made? And now the second thing he deals with immediately after that is the sea. He talks about the sea. He says, I read verse 8, verse 9. When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and the thick darkness of swaddling band... For it and break it up, break up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know his place? He talks about the sea there. He reminds Job, and you can, can you see the poetic nature of this? I mean, it's really, it's really beautifully written. Uh, and, uh, there's, there's so much I could go into there, but it's, it's so, so well laid out. He reminds Job, hey, Job, you know how the sea works? You know that big blue uh, spance that you see out there that you call the sea, the water, the ocean, whatever you want to call it? Let me ask you a question about that. Do you tell it where to go? 
Now, you can spend millions of dollars on nautical equipment. You can spend millions of dollars on the best carbon fiber twin hull sailing vessel that you possibly can. You can spend a fortune, but you can, all that does is let you ride on the waves. But you know what you can't do with any of that? Tell the waves where to go. And we, I mean, we can, we can build a dam and we can kind of, you know, manipulate rivers and things like that. But when you're talking about the sea, the great sea, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Arctic Ocean, the Indian Ocean, when you look out at those, no matter what man builds, if we want to drill oil out there, we don't block off a part of the sea and say, okay, I'm going to move this part of it out, move that part of it out, and we're going to drill right here. What do we do? We build, uh, oh, great, what is it called? Uh, a dock, or no, platform. A drilling platform, oil platform. There you go, oil rig. We, we drive down in pillars, and we get above the water, don't we? And we drill down into the water. But we don't tell that water where to go. Why? Because you can't. And he asked Job, Job, do you tell the seas where to go? Do you say, okay, I want this part of the sea here, and I want... The... Can you do that? And, of course, the obvious answer is no, isn't it? I don't want to make it sound like God's beating up on Job, because he's really not. But he's bringing Job to a very fundamental truth here that he has to understand. Look at verse, and now he deals with a whole bunch of other elements of the natural world. Let me just skip down to verse 22. He says, hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? That is so beautiful. Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail? The treasures of the snow. If you ever, I I thought about bringing pictures up here tonight. I didn't do that. I think pastor has some uh, associated with this um, from a Sunday school lesson. But if you look at snowflakes under a microscope, get some images, Google it, or whatever you want to do, then you see snow is is beautiful. It is beautiful. It has perfect geometric shape. In other words, every snowflake you have, it's it's got perfect design to it. You see squares, you see lines, you see diagonal lines. You see perfect symmetry in every snowflake, and and none of them are the same. He asked Job, Job, you ever looked? Now, imagine how close Job could look at a snowflake. I mean, he really couldn't even appreciate it the way we do today, could he? I mean, I don't know what kind of crude microscope he might have had, if there was even such a thing. But imagine, and we can see so much more today, down to there to those small levels of how complex and amazing and how much snow is actually a treasure. And he says, have you thought about that? What, in other words, Job, what part of a snowflake, what part of snow did you have anything to do with? Does man create snow? No, he doesn't. He shovels snow <laughs> a lot lately. He melts snow. He makes artificial snow for the Winter Olympics. But he, he doesn't really create snow. That's a God thing. God does that. Job, you didn't have anything to do with that. Verse 24, he talks about rain. Uh, by what way is the light parted, which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? Who hath divided the water course for the overflowing of waters or a way for the lightning, excuse me, lightning of thunder to cause it to rain on the earth where no man is, on the wilderness wherein there is no man, to satisfy the desolate and waste ground, to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth? Hath the rain a father or who hath begotten the drops of dew out of, out of, out of whose womb came the ice and the hoary frost of heaven? Who hath gendered it? The waters are hid as with a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. He, and he goes on a little further there about, about water, but rain. Job, let me ask you a question. What do you do to make it rain? 
I can remember my grandfather going over to his house, and uh, they had a swimming pool, so favorite grandparents, of course. And uh, they had a swimming pool there in Annapolis, Maryland. And we were very young children. We looked up to our grandfather a lot. We called him Opa. And uh, we would, and Opa, every now and then, he would, uh, he would go there on the side of the pool, and he would start dancing around. And if you know my Opa, he's just a, he still dances around. He's in his 80s, and he's just that kind of a guy. And he'd start dancing around. You'd ask him, Opa, what are you doing? I'm doing my rain dance. And, uh, you know, and he would do his rain dance. And basically, he was looking at the clouds, waiting to see when there was a cloud just near the sun. And then he would start doing the rain dance. And then the cloud would cover the sun. And we would say, wow, Opa, you're making it rain. You know, you're going to make it rain. Uh, of course, obviously, he did not make it rain. <laughs> Let me ask you something, Job. Do you make it rain? Do you have anything to do with that process? You know what happens when it rains? You adapt to it, right? Same when it snows. You, you do what the weather says, right? I mean, if it's raining, you don't say, rain, come again another day. We don't got time for this. I got things to do. Nope, you get an umbrella. Well, you can go out there and if you want to, but you're going to have to deal with it soaking you. You have, to, you have to get an umbrella. You have to get your raincoat you, because you don't have any control over it. God has that process in place himself. And in fact, I like how it, it talks about verse 26, 27. He t- talks about it causing, <laughs> cause it to rain on the earth where no man is. God not only controls the rain and the forecast here in New York City, he's not only set those things in place where the populated parts of the world are, but God is also situating rain in places where no man is. God is taking care of the ecological system, if you will, in places where no one has ever seen and no one will ever see. God's dealing with all that. And he asked Job, Job, what do you have to do with all that? So God, I mean, I I think I've stressed the point probably to the point of uh, boring you a little bit, but God has complete control and he has complete knowledge over the natural world. Now God goes on, and I won't deal with these uh, too much in depth, but chapter 39, he talks about that he has complete knowledge and control not only over the natural world, but over the animal world as well. So now God continues on. He says this, chapter 39, verse 1, Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? Or canst thou mark when the hens do uh, clave? Canst thou number the months that they fulfill? Or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? They bow themselves. They bring forth their young ones. They cast out their sorrows. Their young ones are in good liking. They grow up with corn. They go forth. They return not unto them. Who hath sent out the wild ass free? Who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass? Whose house have I made the wilderness and the barren land his dwelling? He scorneth the multitude of the city, neither regardeth he the cry, crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture. He scattereth after every green thing. I could continue on, but I'll just, I'll just pause right there for sake of time. Isn't this neat? God asks Job, Job, you see how the animals are out there doing their own thing? See that goat? It has children. It knows exactly what to do. There's no midwife. There's no doctor. That goat goes up, knows exactly where to go, knows exactly what to do, has that goat, and it's, it's in good liking. In other words, it has a baby, and guess what? It's a goat. So, you know, ask, a, ask an evolutionist, how many billions of years would it take before goats produces something other than a goat? You know what I'm saying? Okay, I mean, this is a very good question, right? I mean, things produce after their kind. Uh, usually that's a, that's a good enough question to stump them right there. But anyway, not here to talk about apologetics. He says, you see how that goat, it goes and it knows exactly what to do. He says, let me ask you this. A wild horse, who, who set a wild horse free? Who set a wild horse free? Because we think of horses in terms of being domesticated. 
okay, a domesticated horse. And he deals with a domesticated horse here as well. He says, who, who let the wild ass free? No, nobody did, right? It was there, it pre-existed man. And its life has nothing to do with man. It goes out, it, doesn't, it says that he doesn't regard the driver. It doesn't regard the city. That, that ass is out there, he's living his life, he gets his food, he knows exactly where to live, he knows exactly where to go, he, 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 has, a, he has a full life, he lives and he dies. He doesn't even care what's going on in the city. Job, let me ask you something. How is it that the animal world gets by so well without you? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a good question? Okay, let me ask it this way. Where does animals get their instincts? Now, I'm sure you can find a whole panel of experts that will try to explain that question. But if you really get down to the heart of the matter, no scientist has a clue. DNA. It's written in their DNA. Well, last time I checked, if, it, if I see a book, then I can probably guess that it had an author. Right? You, I mean, if something's written down, that means somebody wrote it, right? And he says here... <laughs> The animal kingdom, the animal world is out there doing its thing, Job, and you're not even there. you got nothing to do with it. And the animal world has, is full of wisdom. Look at, look at verse 26. This is the last one. Brother Mike, you were boring me with this. I'm sorry. Okay, verse 26. I think this is neat. And he deals with a whole bunch of different animals there. It's like this discovery channel in chapter 39, okay? I'm looking for a smile, something, anything, okay? I told the people in North Brooklyn, you, I have to tell you that it's a joke, otherwise you would never know. Okay? Job chapter 39, verse 26. Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch her wings toward the south? Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock and the strong place. From hence she seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. Her young ones also suck upon her blood. They feed upon the, the prey that she brings them. And where the slain are, there is she. Job, the eagles, or the, excuse me, the hawk, you ever wonder why he's flying south every winter? Did it, did it ever occur to you? How does he know to do that? How does the hawk have any idea that the wise thing for it to do for its survival would be to go south? Oh, well, that's natural selection. Seriously? Like I said, I'm not here to fight against any scientists tonight or scientists so-called. But natural selection, that is an oxymoron, okay? You can't select something naturally, okay? You have to, it has to be chosen, okay? That is what, that's what something is. Natural selection is. Doth a hawk fly by thy wisdom? Job, do you go out there and tell the hawk, hey, it's getting cold out here, you better start heading south. No? Job, you got nothing to do with what's going on with that bird. That thing knows exactly what it's supposed to do because it's got someone lording over it. It's got someone that's told it what to do. It has a natural course that it is following that's been set in motion by someone. And it's not you. It's not according to your wisdom. And he talks about the eagles, uh, many eagles. I mean, some are birds of prey, but most of them are are scavengers. Uh, a lot of, even the American bald eagle, the, you know, the bold, tough American bald eagle, which I, I love, I love the images of, but they're actually scavengers. They just eat dead things. And, uh, as Pastor talked about the crow this morning. And, uh, he, and he mentions that here, how they scavenge, they know exactly what to do, they know how to take care of their young, they don't need to go to some, uh, uh, child training class, they don't need to go see a social worker. I mean, they know exactly what to do. Incredible. Don't worry, this is gonna be a very quick ending tonight. This isn't just point one. 
So he tells Job, Job, excuse me, God says not only, God not only understands the natural and animal worlds, but he also understands our world. You see, he has perfect knowledge of what's going on in the animal world. He knows about all the incredible creatures that are in this world. He mentions in just a few broad strokes many of them. He knows all the intricacies of their world. He knows about what James Cameron went down into the deepest part of the deepest sea uh, recently in his little boat that he built. And he saw fish and he saw animals that no one had ever seen before. God already knew all about them. God knows exactly what's going on. And I have no doubt that as as Mr. Cameron goes and swims down in the water more, he's going to find even more amazing creatures that no one had ever thought to exist. And we're we're still discovering uh, in in rainforest climates. Rainforest is like like Garden of Eden, of, of, of climates. And we're still discovering species that no one ever knew existed in those places. And we're seeing all different types of new creatures. God knows about all the intricacies of every one of those those beings. He knows exactly what's going on in their world. And he's ordered them so that they can live on this earth. And God knows all about the natural realm. He knows why things are getting warm and things are getting cold. And he understands why storms come and storms go. And not only our world, but think about the vastness of space and how many millions and billions and trillions of stars and planets and worlds that are out there. God knows all about all those worlds. He knows every one, the Bible says, by name. He, and in, in one phrase in Genesis, and he made the stars also. All that out there that man is trying to investigate, God made it all just like that. And he knows everything that's going on on the farthest star. He knows everything that's going on in all those worlds. But here's the good part. He knows what's going on in our world. He knows what's going on in our world, as in our lives. And that's what he comes to Job with. After this long, detailed, poetic explanation of his way in the world and his way with the animals and his way with the environment, he comes to Job and he says this, uh, Job 40, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. You know what he's saying there? Okay, I've just told you, All the things that I do, all the things that you need to survive that you have absolutely nothing to do with, all the things going on in the world of which you have absolutely no understanding or knowledge about, now you're going to come to me and reprove my ways? You're going to tell me that I'm doing something wrong? After all the things I've just told you that I can do and all the things that I have a part of, you're going to tell me that I'm doing something wrong? He says, if somebody wants to say that, then go ahead. And Job's response is great. (laughs) He says, verse 4, behold... (laughs) I am vile. <laughs> Whoa. What shall I answer thee? I will, lay, I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, and I will proceed no further. God, all this that you're, that you're involved in, all these things, that I, some of which I knew of, some of which you're revealing to me, all the amazing... When I, when I step back, you have to do that sometimes, right? I mean, I mean, especially living in New York City, we, don't, we get closed off to things, don't we? We don't even realize... You know, we go through and we go home, we go to bed. It doesn't even cross our mind of all the hundreds and thousands of people that are working all through the night to make this place work. You know, this crazy city work and the, the sanitation workers and the water and the security and police and all the different things. We're, we're just it's easy for us to get shut out to the world around us. And God opens up Job's, Job's eyes. He opens up his mind to the world around him. He shows him, Job, there's so much going on in the world. And when Job sees all this and he sees what an amazing God he has, you know what he says? I'm going to be quiet now. 
I just talked for three or four chapters about all the, way, all the reasons this shouldn't be happening to me. I'm vile. I'm vile. I don't know anything. I think that's a pretty appropriate answer, don't you? I mean, you ever had an instructor, you know, a teacher, you go to a seminar or something like that, and you hear something you've never heard before in your life. Wow, I've got a lot of work to do. Wow, this guy's smart. Wow, this is, this is something I, I need to... I mean, how many... I mean, what a, what a horrible comparison to the way God, the creator of the universe, confronts Job. <laughs> the knowledge that he puts before him. And Job says, I'm vile. I don't know anything. What in the world have I been talking about? And so now God continues on for two more, cha- for, uh, two more chapters here, and he just deals with two specific creatures, which I believe Pastor mentioned, or Brother Franz mentioned both of them in Sunday school, and I'm not really going to deal with them, but he mentions um, Leviathan and Behemoth. They basically, these are God, for reasons I, you know, we don't fully understand, but God considers these to be two of like his crowning achievements in the natural world. Consider these two beasts, how incredibly well-built they are, how incredibly well-designed they are, and how they live and they thrive in this world. And you can't tame them. You can't control them. They go and they do what they want to do, and you got nothing to do with them. And yet I am the one who created them. I am the one who designed them. He brings it all to him. And in chapter 40, God reveals to Job the real heart of the problem. Because not only does he know about all the parts of nature, not only does he know about all the ways of animals, but he knows about all the ways of man. Look, what, look at how he, he, he confronts Job here. Chapter 40, verse 6. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. This is, this is key. Get this. God's going to get right to the heart of the matter. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? You know what he says to Job? Are you going to tell me that I'm doing something wrong? Now, Job had a bad situation. I don't want to make light of that. It was a terrible situation that Job was in. But Job and his friends were getting real close to saying God was doing something wrong. They were getting really close to saying God's made a mistake. God's letting something happen. God is being unjust in this situation. They were getting frightfully close to that conclusion, especially Job. And God says, are you going to disannul my judgment? Are you going to say that what I have decided to do here is the wrong thing? After all the decisions you see that I make in the world, are you going to say that what I'm doing in your life is wrong? He says, oh, this gets right down to it. Wilt thou condemn me? that thou mayest be justified? He says, Job, you are getting really close to doing this. You are trying to say that I'm wrong so that you can make yourself right. And if that doesn't touch the heart of the issue with so many men and women today, then I don't know what does. That so often what we do is we say God is wrong so that we can be right. Job when, when, God, when God confronts Job with this, Job confesses. And I won't, I won't go through really any more of the story than that, other than to say in verse 42, Job gets it right. Then Job, excuse me, chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. Now that's a good declaration. I know that thou canst do everything 
and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Remember, that was what God said in the beginning, right? Who's the one, who's the one darkening words without knowledge? So who's he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. There was more going on than I, I had any idea of. Hearken, or here I beseech thee, verse 4, and I will speak, I will demand of thee, declare thou unto me. This is the key. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And you know the rest of the story. God says, make a sacrifice for your friends. His friends get, get in line, and Job is restored. He gets his wife back. They have more children. All of his possessions are restored. When God, when Job is is struggling with why he's going through a difficult situation. God answers, God confronts Job with his amazing power and wisdom. Ladies and gentlemen, when we don't understand why things are happening in our lives, we should remember that God directs the universe and we can trust him to direct our own. I believe that's the message that, that, is, trying to, that is, is being conveyed here. So God doesn't... We're going to have prayer meeting. And we want God to answer our prayers. And Jesus said God wants to answer our prayers. But he doesn't always answer them the way we think they ought to be answered. You know why? Because his ways aren't our ways. And his thoughts aren't our thoughts. And he knows a lot more about every situation than we could ever imagine. He knows scientists are trying to figure out how in the world you don't just explode into a ball of nuclear blah. Why we all don't just explode like atom bombs. That they, they talk about in the news, the God particle. What is making our atoms stay together? Yes, it's energy, but why? There, what, 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 is, what is holding us all together? God knows that, and he knows so much more. He knows all the background details of every situation. He knows all the reasons why. We should remember that he directs the universe. You know, maybe you find yourself like Job tonight, and you say, Brother Mike, I'm going through something pretty difficult here. And I'm not finding an easy answer. Brother Mike, I've been coming to church and I've been doing the Bible reading. But Brother Mike, I, I'm, I, don't know, I don't know what's going on. I know a lot of people, I, I, I meet a lot of people in Greenpoint who have told me this or people that are, have moved out of the neighborhood because they lost their job. And we, we're, our economy right now is, is, is crazy at the moment. And you hear about people not only losing their jobs, but people not getting jobs and getting on uh, uh, extended public assistance and things like that. Uh, you hear about a lot of depressing things in the, in the economy, and you're saying, God, I did exactly what I'm supposed to do, and I got fired. That happened to my dad. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do it. I mean, he was working 14 years at the place, doing everything right. Boom, we're cutting you. And, uh, and he lost his job. And there's so many people in that sort of situation. You're saying, God, you're saying like Job, Job, God, I haven't done anything wrong here. Why is this happening? But can I remind you something? That God knows more than you know about the situation. And God is really good at giving jobs, by the way. Did you know that? God is really good at the job market. Uh, he can give, remember what we saw here in a passage? He gives rain to water the earth. He gives purpose to everything in creation. He, it's, it's, he talks later, we didn't go into it. It's such a neat passage there where he talks about horses running into battle. And he, he brings up the point, isn't it, isn't it amazing how a horse runs into battle with no fear? <laughs> he gives that horse a job to do, to be a slave to that man and to be, his, to be his courage, if you will, that the man wouldn't run out into the battle with a sword on his own, but with that beast under him, that thing will run out there and charge the enemy without fear. He can take care of your needs. 
You know why? Because he's taking care of a lot of needs right now, more than you could ever even realize. He can, he can do anything. That's what Job said. He says, I know that thou canst do everything. God, you can do it. Maybe you're here tonight and there's no easy answer about, maybe you're a victim of one of Satan's attacks. Remember, that's what Job was. He was a victim. Satan attacked him and his family. And, and, and that, was, that, was a real, that was a real attack from Satan. Maybe you're dealing with that. Maybe you've been attacked by Satan. Maybe there's been some violence in your life or some abuse. And in those situations, there's no easy answers for why. But there is an easy answer for where to go from here. And that is to say, if God can take care of this crazy world, then he can take care of me. If God can heal this world, then he can heal me. I can trust. I, he, can, he can get me past this. He can take care of me. I will trust in him. Maybe you're trying to start a church in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Anyone like that here tonight? Boy, I'm so over on time. I'm sorry. And you're saying, God, what's going on here? I'm doing everything right. I went and I got the support and I got the prayers and people are praying and I got the doctrine right and I got the tracks and I got the this. And what's going on here? Lord, this isn't happening. There's more happening than we know. I'm not looking forward this week at Heartland to have to tell everybody, uh, oh, yeah, so you've been there for a couple months. How's the church going? Well, we're not having services. <laughs> you got a core group? No. I got a few phone numbers. You got, oh, you got, you're out there, uh, you know, uh, you having baptisms? No. <laughs> no, you got a building? Got that building? No. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that. But with all those no's, I can give a confident yes that, hey, God is doing something. He's doing far more than we know. He knows how to start a church. He knows how to take care of our needs. He knows what he's doing. I mean, it's okay to ask why. I, don't, I mean, I've been through some dark days in my life. It's okay to ask why. Just be confident that you may not get the answer right away. But you can ask how. God, how do you want me to go from here? And there is an answer to have faith in him, to believe that he can do anything and trust in him. For my conclusion tonight, I'm going to read a hymn. It's called, we, read it, we sung it a few weeks ago, and Miss Julia will play it for invitation. It's called, This Is My Father's World. I think it just fits the passage so well. In fact, the, the author of this hymn, he was a Presbyterian minister, and he was an athlete, and he, was, he liked to take long walks. And they would say, his family said whenever he left the house, he would say, goodbye, I'm going to see my father's world. And he just liked to walk around in nature. He says, this is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget. Listen to me, folks. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died will be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Psalm 33, 5 says this. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. 
If we can trust Him to manage this world, then we can trust Him to manage our lives. And I pray that tonight you would renew that trust in Him. No matter what you're going through, you would renew your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer. As that beautiful hymn begins to play, we'll have invitation time. And it's not a time to approve the preacher's message. It's a time to to answer back to God. If God's spoken to you, then speak back to Him. I know that when I go on, on long,